Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. Thank you, Tim. This morning's scripture comes from Romans, the ninth chapter, verses 14 through 18. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. The word of God. Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we cry out for your help this morning as we undertake another extremely difficult passage to dissect, to help us to understand your mind and who you are and how you act. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would connect us to you through these passages Even though we seem to be separated, we just ask, Father, that you would give us understanding that we've never had to illuminate to each one of us who you are. Lord, it is my prayer this morning that the words I speak be not mine, but be yours, and you may be glorified through them. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So last week we spent most of, or we did spend the entire time, looking at God's electing purpose and exactly what that meant and and what that dealt with. Why does God elect in the way that He does? And we saw that ultimately it was for the glory of His grace, for His glory. That was it. That was why He does what He does. And if He did not elect... He would receive no glory. That's the only way that he gets the glory that is deserving or halfway deserving to him is because of his election. It's a difficult, as I've said, week after week after week, this is an extremely difficult chapter. Has anyone been uncomfortable as I've gone through this chapter? I've been uncomfortable going through it, okay? It's just uncomfortable, and it has caused a great many people no small amount of grief, because here we have a situation where we have this idea, the fact, that God needs to be glorified. There's a lot of people that have trouble with that. Oprah Winfrey couldn't deal with it. I don't want to be associated with a God that is so needy of glory and praise that everything's dependent upon that. It rings of selfishness, does it not? I mean, that's the way we see it. We see a God that is needy, that that desires to be worshipped and praised, and we're sitting there thinking, who does this? How does this work? 
What kind of an egotistical being works in this way? That's what we think. That's what comes to our minds. And if it doesn't come to our minds, I don't know that we're really being honest with ourselves. John 4, 8 tells us that God is love, and yet here we have a God that elects or chooses people for eternal life so that He can be glorified. So how do those two fit? How does it all mesh together? I don't think I have to tell you, but what I just mentioned was a very improper way of looking at God. We look at God through the eyes of our sinfulness. And that's a big issue. That is the issue that we have and causes us to ask the question, how can some being or entity be so egotistical as to desire and require worship and praise all the time? You see, sin has so clouded our ability to truly understand God's demand for glory and that it is good and perfect and pure in every way. We cannot see it that way because we are blinded by sin. The problem that that we have with it or that I have with it is we see this when another person desires the praise or glory, don't we? There's probably nothing in this life that makes me sicker is whenever I see a person that does everything in their life for praise or glory of themselves. It makes me want to vomit. Because that sin sin that's coming out from within them That's the pride that so ensnares us. And so when we see that and we take that and we project it on God, we have a lot of problems with it, don't we? We have trouble whenever we see God requiring, desiring praise and worship. But there's a really important distinction here that has to be made. Mankind is not worthy of that praise. Mankind is not worthy of that praise in any way, shape, or form. We don't even come close. Jerrica had a quote this morning in Sunday school, and I have totally forgotten it. But whenever we get prideful of ourselves, we take one little thing that we think we've accomplished, and we loft that above us and we want everybody to praise it for us while at the same time we're closing our eyes to the myriad of faults and failures and sin that is encumping us every day. God's not that way. He's altogether perfect. He's altogether worthy of that praise. So when we project our disdain for someone that desires praise and worship... We're projecting our sinfulness on God. It's basically what we're doing. And that's how it works out. God alone is worthy to be praised, to be glorified. He has no shortcomings or faults. 
He doesn't fight the same battle between these ears that I do every day. It's not there. He is perfect in every way. Although we are made in His image, He is way different when it comes to actions and thoughts and wisdom. His ways are so far above our ways. When we can see and realize the true majesty and perfection of God to the extent that it's possible in this life, because we'll never truly see and realize and understand it in this life, then and only then can we truly offer Him the praise that even comes close to what He deserves. So we have to be able to see that He's deserving in order to praise. Giving a lip service isn't going to work. He's not going to be fooled. You're not going to bind Him into whatever you think you're going to bind Him into because you're saying, yeah, yeah, He's great. doesn't work that way. He knows what's genuine and true and what's not. And telling Him what He wants to hear isn't going to work either. He knows our hearts. And He knows when we're sincere and when we're not. So this concept of praise to the glory of His grace and the grace comes down on His people, it so magnifies Piper's motto when he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And you can put the inverse of that. When we're glorifying God the most, legitimately, sincerely, from our hearts, with all that we have, then He showers us with more grace than we can ever imagine. And it works beautifully that way. But we have to be able to recognize the grandeur of God, the glory of God. And it is then that we can truly worship Him. These passages that we've been going through for the last few weeks in Romans 9 are prime examples of that. And they illustrate how far we are from being able to truly see God for all that He is. We read these passages and we tend not to see God's glory and grandeur and perfection, do we? We tend to overlook that. And we tend to find fault in God. That's what this fallen man tends to do. And that's our knee-jerk reaction. We allow sin to cloud our judgment and we project that sinfulness on God. Lord, forgive us for that. Thus, when we question God, it is a result of our sinfulness, not God's imperfection. We need to remember that. So with that, let's look at verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. So Paul does a beautiful job of anticipating fallen man's question to what he had just said. And you remember we spent the last three to four weeks 